Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and we're here today for another episode of The Reviews. Today we're going to be taking a look at the newest Wizards of the Coast hardback heist adventure anthology book, Keys from the Golden Vault. Joining me as always is my co-host Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. And joining us today is a special guest co-host. We have Fiona from the What Am I Rolling podcast, among others. Fiona, say hello to everyone. I'll say hello to everyone. There you go. Now, since you're the newbie, uh, just quickly tell us a little bit about yourself. If we've got anybody listening who's not yet familiar with your show, what's the elevator pitch for your podcast? Absolutely. So What Am I Rolling is a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast available at all good podcast providers. Uh, I go through every month or so a different RPG system or setting, and we take people who've never played in that setting, or just people who are interested in role-playing in general, and we just go through it and just tell really cool stories together. Um, We've covered over 50 systems, and we've done about 100 episodes. But also we've done some interviews with uh, game designers as well, and certainly some more indie game designers recently, which I highly recommend you go check out. And so yeah, so that's What Am I Rolling? And you'll recognise it because it's a beautiful uh, logo, if I do say myself, of a <laughs> basically sort of multicoloured uh, dice, and in the centre it says What Am I Rolling in a very cool font. So that's all in all podcast providers. Fantastic. Well, we're very excited to have you with us today. We had a chance to chat a little bit before recording. I love your energy, so I'm excited to get into the episode today. (laughs) So we'll just start off by talking about, so again, thank you to Wizards of the Coast. They did send Tom and I copies of the book for review purposes. They also sent me a D&D Beyond uh, key Mm -hmm. this time. That's the first time they've done that. I actually think they may have switched their like PR company because I'm getting emails from a different person now. I'm not really a D&D Beyond person. So I have that, but I didn't really utilize it and look at it ahead of time like I probably should have. So maybe in the future, I'll try to do more and more of that. Uh, But I'm going to start with you, Tom. We're going to just talk kind of big picture stuff to begin with. What did you think about this book or what what about it do you want to talk about first? Okay, well, first, Michael, we need to give some details about, you know, Mm. what this book is. Okay. Okay. So it's obviously it's the next anthology book from Wizards. We they've kind of started following this formulaic kind of process of big campaign book, player book. And then these anthology books. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, these anthology books are their chance to try out, you know, freelancers and different things. A key note about this book is this book, if you look at the writers, it uses more of the in-house writers of WotC to write this book. So um, whether that allows more cohesiveness or whatnot, it's just a, a note for that book. I would also like to note that the very first writer listed is friend of the show, Justice. It is Justice. Former (laughs) D&D Guild or DMs Guild correspondent himself. Look at him making a big name for himself. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Yeah, no, uh, I I really wish, I don't know how you all feel about this. With the anthology stuff, I wish they would say, I've complained about this before. Who wrote what adventure? Oh, yeah. And I really wish that I would, I complained about this with, uh, what was the, why am I blanking on the last one? The Crystal Shard. Oh, Radiant Citadel. Radiant Citadel. There was a few in there that I was like, this is amazing. Mm. And I want to know who wrote this so I can go look at more of their stuff. And so, but it's so, I had to dig deep, but I really wish that they would just, just, just put who wrote what. Yeah. I well, think- I apologize. I guess the reason I thought they did is because I know one of them. Uh, yes. We actually, as part of this episode, there's going to be a bonus interview I add to the end uh, where I interviewed Sarah Madsen, who was one of the writers specifically, and she did the adventure, The Stygian Gambit. Oh, um, very cool. Right, or not. Mm-hmm. 
And it's actually the one that Tom chose. He didn't know that I had that interview, but he's that's the one he chose. So I'm really excited to see how that goes because if he doesn't like it, that'll be awkward. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's I, to answer that point, I think I know why they might have done it because I know in, I believe it's Warhammer books uh, or, or Warhammer fantasy roleplay, also that kind of genre of books that they used to put people's names on it, but then those writers got particular hate mail or Ooh. hate things. So then they've deliberately started taking off so that everyone, you know, we want to thank the whole team that's worked on it so that not one particular writer gets a specific attack on that. So that's what I believe leave maybe the cause of it but i do think it's kind of a shame because like there are certain adventures certainly i was going to say radiant citadel has been one of my favorite uh books that's come out in the last year and it's just it would be so nice just to be like that person wrote that book and it should be credited to that name but i mean the credit is in the book it's not like it's hidden away but it's weird because i feel like you know that's uh catering to the lowest common denominator like we're trying to avoid a negative but what we're doing is reducing accolades like we could go man that was the best adventure and, you know, maybe that person gets additional opportunities or maybe there are things that on DMs Guild gets a boost time of thing. So, yeah. unfortunately, I think that's the world we live in where you do kind of have to protect people, but it is yeah. unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the book is, it consists of 12 adventures running from level 1 to 11, with two of those adventures being for level 8. Each of these adventures oh, are... And two for level 5. Yeah, I believe there's 13. Yeah, there's 13 13. adventures. My bad, my bad. I can't look at it. I can't read a dang chart, okay? (laughs) Or count. So we got 13 adventures, two for five, two for eight. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anthology, so they're not connected, but they can be connected. Mm -hmm. So Fiona, what'd you think about this? You want to tell people about what is the connection between these adventures absolutely so they introduce this idea of an organization called the golden vault essentially your mi5 your mission impossible you know your basically secret organization that looks to do good and right wrongs in a secret sort of way like sort of restoring the balance essentially and there's not much information exactly on say headquarters or anything like that but it gives an example of getting uh, operatives and you know how do you get into the golden vault having a, a contact that will give you these messages and mo- i think that the coolest thing the very flavorsome thing that i really enjoy is this idea that everyone has these sort of little music boxes and when they get a new mission it's a new key that you put in and as it plays a, mis- a message plays out and that is the beginning of the adventure but as you rightly say tom it's uh, you can play it all as one campaign, all from the beginning to the end, or you could do it as a sprinkling in if you need a break from your current campaign. You're like, oh, you've got a music box, and oh, another key has arrived, and so you can easily dip in and out depending on how you and your players feel, which I think is really cool. And you have this idea that the Golden Vault is a patron of some sort, and it could mm-hmm. be the thing that motivates your characters to do uh, the missions should should they wish to. Yeah, I do like it's very much Mission Impossible where you get like a self-destructing message. This exactly. is my magical key. And, you know, they've introduced this idea of patrons. I think maybe in the Theros book was the first place it came out. I don't remember. But Eberron. Like Eberron, where you have this organization or person that your group works for, if not all the time, mm-hmm. but it supplies them with your missions. It allows you to have a very sort of episodic Mm-hmm. A style adventure. If you don't want to necessarily run a campaign point A to Z, you can just have this, oh, well, we're now doing this mission for this person or this group or that kind of thing. So yeah. I thought that was an interesting addition as well. 
There's definitely more information on that in Tasha's as well, which it doesn't have to be. It could be a god, it could be a noble, etc. So it's just expanding on that as well, if you want to have like a general overview. But yeah, Eberron, uh, I think Theros and um, uh, Ravnica all have similar ideas of patrons in that respect as well. So it's really cool. And I, I just, I think the thing for me is that I wish there was more information. It's very cool. I love the idea, but there's just, it's just very little in it. And I, I know it's just like, it's just to hook you in, just like it hooked in with Radiant Citadel, but just not. I wish there was more information on it. That's yep. the only thing I'd like on that. So I'm actually, here we go. I'm going to bring it down. Like I use, all right. So this is actually what I don't like about this book is this connection because Fiona, like you were saying, there's not enough. They established this idea of guild ranks within the Eberron book yep. and they don't use them. I'm like, you have this tool that you've created that is amazing. Just use it. So I, I feel like this is the Golden Vault stuff just feels so tacked on. Yes. There's the adventures typically are 14 to 18 pages and the Golden Vault stuff is like six pages. Mm-hmm. So you've got this premise for this book and I feel like they just could have, you know, an extra page or two yeah. of I'm okay with how they connected the campaigns with this, uh, with the keys and stuff. I don't think that needs to be really like fleshed out a whole lot, but just how the guilds interact at a higher level, I think would have been really useful. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. All right, fair enough. I, I think generally speaking, our vibe is pretty positive on the book, but I definitely have a few pockets. This is something that came from the internet. I'm not going to say that I was the only one that had this idea, but I've talked about heists a lot. Like from, We've been doing the show like 12 years. I love heists and I love murder mysteries. They're like two of my favorite types of adventures to run. And D&D is not always the best Agreed. system for that to the point that people have created games solely to find a better way to do heists, you know, like Gumshoe or Blades in the Dark. And for a book that's all about heists, I would have liked maybe four or five pages about, hey, here's some advice for oh, running that. heist adventures using exactly. our system. Maybe here's some alternate rules. Here's how you can do a few different things to play around with the structure. And there's like none of that. Now, individually in the certain heists, it does talk about like in the planning phase, maybe this or that, or this is an option. But this could have been a great five to 10 page inclusion of here's how you run heist in fifth edition. And it's not there. I think it'd be great to have like because they let's face it, wizards love their tables. Um, there's no tables to roll up an adventure. Like, what is the MacGuffin? What is this? Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. and that would have been really cool. Like, a two-page thing, like create your own heist on the fly. You know, you're about to do a one-shot of this stuff. That'd be really cool. And the one thing I was gonna say that was missing for me, uh, but again, it's something that I would just bring in is that with all these sort of heist films, anything James Bond, anything MI5, you know, or, or Mission Impossible where are the gadgets that you get given ah. you know where is the magical MacGuffins that you that get you out and bring? and I just think that's such a cool role play thing where you could roll on a magic table sure or you could come up with something as a GM and then you could you know they're in trouble and they go wait I'm going to use this thing that they gave me and have something about that because that's for me that's such a big trope in all these films that there's like oh god the water's rising James Bond's getting surrounded by crocodiles wait he's gonna you know do this thing and poof and it's just that was the only thing that was missing for me. I would have loved to have like a magical uh, equipment table that gets loaned out, and there's some poor Q-like ta- character who's like, yeah. "Oh, okay, don't b- bring it back," you know, that sort of thing. 
Yeah, that yeah, I, actually, that would have been a great chapter. It's like a just a bunch of tables to build your own adventure on the fly. Here's your MacGuffin. Here's your target. Here's your reward. Uh, here's like a obstacle or a complication, yeah. and then go type of a thing. Yeah, definitely. The other thing that they include in this that I actually really love is this the right index. The index. We'll get to that, but the rival crew. Yes. All right. So. Yep. I watch a lot of anime, okay? And <laughs> one of the things with anime is this idea of rivals. Like, it's just this 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 person that the players can hate. It's always good to have a person that the players can hate. That's what these rivals are. And so they basically include this table that is, it's a rival crew in their motivation for each one of the adventures, okay? So basically, as your players do this, you could have another crew of recurring NPCs who show up and they give a motivation for why they're there. And I love creating super cool, edgy NPCs in my games, and that's where I can fit them in. So this right here was very good. It's interestingly, in uh, my adventure, which I know we'll talk about towards the end, it talks about this rival organization called Steel, which I won't allude to too much, and this idea that they are working against the Golden Vault. And again, oh. one thing I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish they'd done is mention it right at the beginning, have it available as an optional, hey, you're going to use your rivals, maybe they're a part of Steel, maybe that's the reason they're working against you rather than just a rival group that the Golden Vault has sent or anything like that. But yeah, it's very interesting because that comes much later on. It starts, I believe, in the adventure that I've chosen to discuss. And then it talks about, well, you could put it in other adventures. I was like, oh, I wish they just put it at the beginning. Cause that, I, maybe the writer of that particular adventure was like, oh, I want to bring this in because it makes sense for the adventure. But it would have been much cooler to be like, here is the rival organization, which would, of course, naturally be working against something like the Golden Vault. Yeah, and if you do want to string them together, that makes a lot of sense to introduce that. If Even if you, the DM, know it, you don't introduce it in the first adventure. But like by the third one, there should be clues that, why do these people exactly. keep showing up where we're at? Like there mm -hmm. seems to be some concerted effort to thwart us yeah. rather than just, here's a random opposition every time. Yeah, like having a Moriarty card being left at the crime scene and all that sort right. of thing. Yeah, just to make that little connection. Absolutely. You could also build in some ways there that if you fail, like, Maybe you don't actually succeed every time. Who was it that got there first? Who is it that kept you from being successful? That could build up some animosity between you and this organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So, Watsy, just hire us. We got this. Um, <laughs> all right. So, Tom, I know you're a layout person. So, yes. I mean, I think in anthology, the structure is kind of what it is. But any overall thoughts about the layout? Yes. Okay. So I've complained about the anthology layouts because they don't necessarily follow the same structure all the time. This adventure does. It follows a very similar, each adventure follows a very similar instruction where they get the, they get the quest. Mm -hmm. There is information about how to do the heist. There are usually heist complications and then there's the heist itself. Also, I like that each adventure includes kind of like an in-world map yes. that the players would get and then an actual map. So what I really liked was the consistency. So this having a consistent formula for each one of these adventures makes them very easy to pick up and play. Once you know one of them, you can really quickly run another one. So very good. Mm -hmm. right. So Fiona, do you have any particular thoughts about the layout? 
Absolutely. And I, I yes, I, I think everyone's going to pick up on the two maps thing. Cause again, this, uh, yeah. the first player map is, and it's always a reason why the players would have it. So for example, in the free adventure that got sort of sent out by D&D Beyond that everyone could have a look at and see if they wanted to have the Golden Vault. Uh, that was Prisoner 13. So they are given a blueprint of the prison that it's, that they're in, uh, which they can then imagine at any point and they'll see where they are in prison, which again is very cool. Cause it's like, ah, oh, finally there's, there's a reason why they would know all the rooms and you're not hiding anything. But the GM's map of the actual place has more information about stuff. And that's what's interesting. And it's more obvious in the other adventures because you'll get a map that's hand-drawn and they'll be like, goblins, question mark. Uh, don't know where this leads to. And it's just, it's really nice because it's something that the players can look to and go, okay, I, and, and work out. And I, I'm a big fan of a big, of a good prop, right? So mm-hmm. I can imagine mm-hmm. handing this over to players if we were playing in person or sharing it and then them using it. I think that's the problem I have. Some people really rely on maps and sometimes that interferes uh, in the role players a bit. Again, each to their own. But I think here it makes such a good use of them. And as a result, I just really, really enjoy how they've come about it. And I think the artists must have had a fun time as well, delivering different in-world maps, as well as the standard sort of GM map. They're all very, very different. They clearly have like a, a personality to them, which I absolutely yeah. love. Yeah, I d- definitely agree as well. As someone who doesn't necessarily use a lot of maps like, you know, combat, uh, from a prop standpoint or just like a visual aid, I think those are very cool to have the in-world map as well as the GM map. I think that's a cool addition. So since we that's a kind of a good transition, let's talk about the art Tom, any particular thoughts about the art in this book? I do have a few. Got a few notes here. Okay. Right. So every D&D book, and this is pro- me being super petty, is that I go through and I see if there's recycled art. And there's some recycled art. They've gotten pretty good about not using it. But the party at Palisette Hall uses recycled art of magic items from the DMG. So... Hey, maybe. I, I don't think that's a big deal. It's a I big think it, deal. it'd be a bigger deal. They should have created new magic items and not just put the same. Ones. I no, <laughs> no. I was complaining about it just because you think about it, though. Look, look, look. Let's let's, you know, let's not bury the lead here. Watsy is a big company and they got a lot of money and they can pay for new art. And I'm just whenever I see it, I'm just kind of like, Ugh, that's kind of cheap. So, but. <laughs> Anyway, that's that. But no, I mean, all the maps are sweet. Also, each of the, and you all may may know, you know, may, I don't know what you guys thought. The opening, they got full page art at the beginning of each. Yeah, each uh, adventure has its own full page. Yeah. And I think, I think it's the same artist. And I wish I knew. I'm pretty sure this is the same artist who did the full page art for the Dragonlance book mm. because it has a very almost lifelike quality to it it kind of is very it's a realistic kind of look to it like if you go look at even if you were to look at page 26 the stygian gambit the one i'm going to talk to mm-hmm. look at the look at the drow there and it doesn't look like uh and then also the background the actual in the cave it's a very much kind of almost like photo realistic it's gorgeous actually that particular image just the reds of the background really comes to the front of that yeah it's beautifully done i mean again i'm i am looking at the D beyond version already i'm like 
whoa. And I'm certainly someone who uses art in my thing when I'm trying to describe something and I'm like, my words can't do it justice. Boom, here's the image. And people go, oh, wow, that's so cool. So I, I think stuff like this that is easily to sh- be shareable. Certainly, like, I will just download it from the D&D Beyond account. I will just do a quick s- <laughs> screenshot and then send it across just to show them. And mm-hmm. I think it just helps you, like, as, as Tom was saying, really evoke the feeling of that adventure. And that's such, and certainly that one is particularly good at showing what this adventure is and just that starting point of where you're going to go. Yeah, this is also like the tiefling that's in this boat is like one of the best tieflings either, especially when you, it's so funny, when you juxtapose that with the, if you go to page 117, I know Fiona, you got the the D&D Beyond. Go to mm-hmm. 117 and look at that tiefling tieflings are always so hit or miss like they're they either look amazing or they just don't so yeah i think for me art it either needs to be clarifying like this is what something looks like or it needs to be evocative and inspirational and i would say across the board most of the art here hits that for me i i really like those full full page pieces of art. they're, they're beautiful awesome. i'd like to have some yeah. prints of some of these like the yes the, it's not the adventure i'm doing but it's the heart of ashes there's oh, like this castle that's sort of being sucked up into this nihilistic void. Yes. I'd I'd put that on my wall. I'd I'd frame that and hang it up. Well, even some of the imagery, certainly in that particular one, I believe that's the one with the king, correct? Um, so that yes. the image of the king. Uh, yes. uh, again, I do not want to spoil it because that some of these heists, some of these adventures. Obviously, there's some of them are like, ah, we're going to take the MacGuffin. Oh no, no, the MacGuffin's not there. And some of them are really heartbreaking and really like, oh my god, is this a heist? I guess it is. And that one in particular is, I, I you know, it's one of those ones where I was like, I, you know, was choosing between. Them, I was like, oh, that's such a good one, but. So so I would highly recommend checking that out because, again, the art in that is really evocative on that front. I almost picked that one. That was the oh. one I I almost picked it. The only quick thing I wanted to quickly say about the art because it's I, with all new D D Beyond books, I can't but sort of talk about the alternative artwork as well. So we've got um, I don't I I don't know which ones you have got, but in this one it is pure gold uh, and it looks like a vault essentially, a Simeon Mayer or Simon Mayer depends. Uh, yeah, oh, I see. I knew you had it. Ah, sorry. Yeah. Doesn't help. I always keep home. that one and give Tom the other one. Yeah, oh, I, I see. Just, I get <laughs> the other ones. Yeah. So yes, that alternate cover is. Amazing, sweet. It's It's really cool. I really like it. How bright is it? Can I ask? I I mean, it is shiny. It really is. Like it's it's striking. Yeah, Uh, this might be one of, if not my favorite of all of them so far. Like it just is beautiful. My mind's still in transit. Unfortunately, we're about a month behind in delivery Mm. in the UK. So I'm I'm going because it looks so good and so shiny. Um, But yeah, I just thought it just stands out so much. Like all the previous, the recent art. uh, the recent alt covers have been just incredible. And I just like this one, I think just really, it, it shows what it's about. I think it just really goes, oh yeah, what is this book? It's great. So we're going to jump in and we're each going to take one of the adventures that we have read. We're going to kind of talk about it specifically. We're going to try to avoid spoilers, but if you are going to give a spoiler, please say, I'm about to give a spoiler to give people the opportunity to jump ahead if they don't want to know or if they might be playing in it. Uh, we're going to do it in the order of, level so whoever has the lowest adventure would go first and that's actually surprisingly tom because i'm usually the one who focuses (laughs) on low level adventures but he took the second level adventure the stygian stygian how would you say that gambit i don't know stygian stygian it's kind of like the river sticks yeah so okay so yeah so i picked a low level adventure because 
I thought the low level adventures in this book are better. So I just thought, oh, you know, I'm just throwing out there. So I thought that I really enjoyed these low level adventures. I think that they're interesting because they are not balanced at all. All right. (laughs) So the first one is in a museum, and the second one is you're like first level. This one's a second level. Basically, every single thing in these is way too overpowered for the players. They do note at the beginning of this book, though, that this is not meant to be like combat focused adventures. All right. So, you know, whether I could kind of, I could go on a whole other conversation about whether D&D is made for combat or whatnot, but I'm not going to right now. Be- I just think that these are the, the lower level adventures are really interesting because typically lower level adventures don't let lower level characters do cool stuff. Whereas these lower level adventures let the players do some really interesting things. So this first, the one that I picked was the Stygian Gambit. It is a heist that takes place, and I'm putting in quotations, an afterlife casino. All right. I read this and I was like, oh, wait, is this is this going to be in the nine hells? I don't want to deal with that stuff at low level, but it's not. It is a themed casino based on the nine hells. We're in Vegas, baby. <laughs> yeah, there's this certain kind of very corniness to it that I really like because I've been to a casino one time. It was for it was for a, a for some work stuff. I hated every single minute of it. All right, <laughs> it was it was too flashy. It was garish. It was expensive. It was just not. It, I wasn't I wasn't vibing with it. And this felt like a casino. It's very it's very kind of there's cheesiness to it. There's uh, like there, there's just it just feels right. And they also include games that you can play. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, your three dragon ante. They include some slots. I don't think this is the first time they've talked about three dragon ante. I could be wrong. I, I don't think it is. But this is the first time they encourage players to get another game, essentially, and play on the table. Although there are alternate rules for doing it. But I, as a player, I'm like, yes, play another game within D&D. Absolutely. I'll get out the chessboard. I'll get anything out. I'll buy the three dragon ante game and learn how to do it. Because I think... I love stuff like that, which is doesn't necessarily depend on dice rolling. It depends on role play and doing something else. It just makes it a bit more of an interesting experience rather than just like uh, twenty. I hit the end of the game, you know. So I just yes. yeah, I just thought that was really cool. There, yeah, and they include so much different cool stuff for this, but it's perfect because it doesn't feel like it's it's not an overwhelming amount. It's enough where I'm like, okay, I can include this. I don't feel like I'm. I feel like I'm going to be include everything and not just really slow my game down. But the concept of this adventure is that you've been hired by a three dragon anti player who had a friend who stole her money that she won fair and square in a tournament. They had these two friends had wanted to start their own casino eventually, but the friend took the money and made his own casino without her treacherous. So, You've got bad blood mixed in here, all right? So vengeance. And this this three dragon anti player, she hires the characters to get into this casino, steal a bunch of money and also steal this statue that is currently being used as a prize for a three dragon anti tournament. If this statue's stolen, it's going to embarrass the owner her 
ex-friend and it's just going to cause a bunch of drama. Okay. Why I really, really like this heist is that this is a, obviously, it's a classic, you know, Ocean's Eleven is like yep. one of the most famous heist things ever. And this is, this. there's a lot of the similar vibes here. But what I really like is this is a heist where players get to infiltrate into the casino, put disguises on, and gather the information. And those kind of role play scenes to me are so much fun where players get to do charisma checks and persuasion checks, but they're not just trying to, you know, cheat their way out of stuff. They're pretending to be somebody they're not. They're role playing within a role playing game. So it gets this real meta ness to it. And it's, I just love that aspect of this adventure. Super cool stuff there. Mm-hmm. The other things that were amazing is that there is this real world technology that has been turned into in-game, you know, magical items. So this is actually the only heist that does this, where they take, they have security mirrors, which are basically cameras. Like scrying mirrors. They're scrying (laughs) mirrors so that there's a a security office. Then there's also a actual, like, a key card door pass that all the employees in the casino have. And it's like, it's basically this card that has an abjuration spell on it that opens up a magical lock and i'm like this is this is cool stuff and Mm -hmm. so there's just so many elements and what i really love about this one too is that it feels really complicated but it's very very tightly written where i could run this really easily in a three-hour one shot and i feel like i would wouldn't be like missing anything Mm -hmm. from it which is that's what i really like from anthology books and the twist at the end spoiler alert because i gotta talk about this because it's like my favorite part it's actually why i picked it all right spoilers so at the end turns out that the guy that the players are trying to rob from he personally hires every employee at the casino so he knows the entire time that they're fake so when he confronts them this is what i love about it he doesn't throw them in jail he gives them a counter offer to take a letter back to their employer and this is the best part. It's so easy because he's going to pay them exactly what she was going to pay them. So it's kind of like, you guys don't have to do any work. Here you go. Here's a letter. Here's some money. Go away. Whoa. It's my players would totally do this just because it's so <laughs> funny. It's so it's like, it's like, yeah, this guy paid us a bunch of money. And we didn't have to do any work. And it's just the ultimate like spit in the face of this person. This last kind of kick at them after they've stolen their money so just i love this heist it feels very classic heisty there's nothing like they're not trying to reinvent the wheel here this is a heist but it what they did was they took those elements of heist and they perfected them here so i love this adventure very very cool and i will note i don't know if we touched on it but at, at the end of each of these heists they have a little section for continuing adventures if it went yeah. well or if it went poorly. So most of these are not the world is going to end if you screw up. It's just you don't either get paid or you don't get the recognition, that type of thing. And I do like that built in because I think too many adventures are, well, the adventures have to win. So if things go poorly, I have to make a way for it to work. And here you can just be like, okay, you didn't succeed, but the adventure is still over. You just, you didn't get the thing. And now you got to, you know, Maybe someone else will deal with that. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I really like that. So I'm also very happy you liked it since I had a very nice chat with the writer, which will be included at the end of this. We'll get it's like a 30 minute interview with Sarah. So that's so fun. It was so fun. If you know when Michael was like, 
bike club. I was like, Tom, which one are you picking? I was like, uh, I'm picking this one. He's, I could, I knew he was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, Tom, why you, why? Because I right. thought for sure I was safe because you never do low level adventures. I, I know. Like you're going to do second <laughs> level. But uh, here's the, usually I'll pick an adventure to do that I really hate or I really love. This one I was like, there wasn't one in here that I was like, oh, this is terrible. So they were all kind of like, I kind of liked all of them or there was some that was kind of like, meh. So I went with the one that I liked the most, and that was this one. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm hoping Sarah will, will listen to this and hear that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So as for myself, I went with one of the eighth-level adventures. It's called The Shard of the Accursed. Ooh. There's a couple big reasons why I went with this one. First of all, it's actually a reverse heist, which yes. I love. So you're not trying to break in and take something. You're trying to return something where it needs to be. And I just think that's always a fun little twist. Secondly, there's actually some real emotional weight that you could imbue in this scenario where you have families that are at odds with each other. You have sort of this sort of hereditary situation where someone is actually the descendant of this long forgotten hero. But one of the things I think is really cool, this is slightly spoilery, is the fate of a particular individual and then secondary individuals play into why what is happening is happening. And we've talked about doing this before. I think this would be a really cool time to do that, you know, sort of Scooby-Doo, you're now playing those heroes in their last moments. Oh, yes. So absolutely. you could have like a either a half session, maybe an hour, maybe even a full session where they are, again, spoilers, basically going to lose in some ways, but they get to play out. They get to play these other adventures. Maybe they're higher level because these are heroes from legend, but ultimately they're doomed. You get to play in that emotion. And then our heroes now have additional information that they should have. Cause in the adventure, they get that information, but they don't get it by reliving it through the eyes of these people. It's just information they come across by uh, investigating or interviewing other people. I think that, that could be a really fun one-off side session to just really dive into that. If you got players who, who want to do that. The other thing that I think is really cool about this adventure is it, it doesn't really codify, but it does give DMs, I think, the, uh, the ability and the authority to create magic out of interesting things. Hmm. So, like, it doesn't have to be a wizard going, this ring is now a plus one. At the heart of this adventure is someone who, who gave up their life to, to save others. And that act, over time, sort of became magical in a way. So I just like the idea of doing that where things become magical because of emotional weight of the past. Maybe, you know, something it's combination. Like it was next to something that was magical and it sort of leached off some magic and there's emotion in included. I just think that's really cool. I think there's a lot I could do with this particular adventure uh, and add to it. So I was definitely inspired by what this uh, adventure presents in like the ingredients I may put them together in a slightly different recipe than they have, but I was definitely inspired by some of the key elements. I think it would be a ton, a ton of fun to run that adventure. It doesn't get include the here's your version of the map versus here's the actual DM's map that has additional things. Uh, there's several bits of role play where you, can, you know something someone else doesn't know and can you persuade them or de deceive them to get them to tell you the thing. Uh, you can change sides at some point and maybe help the other side instead of the side you were hired to, similar to what happens with, with Tom's. But yeah, I just thought this was really cool. So here's my negative to it. Mm -hmm. Eighth level characters are going to walk through this adventure. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. There are no challenges. There are no combats. There are no traps that would even be an inconvenience to an 8th level party. It absolutely, if you want to, I mean, again, you could role play it, make it emotional. You don't worry about that. But if you have players who want to roll skill checks and who want to fight things, you're going to have to severely, in my opinion, ramp up the difficulty because there are there are traps that do three points of damage. Yeah. At eighth level, that is nothing, not even it? worth noting on your character sheet. And it doesn't really seem to take into account that at eighth level, characters are going to have spells, not even like magic items. If you have a DM who gives out a lot of those, I don't normally, but maybe you do. Uh, but they're going to have spells. If you have a wizard in the party or a, a druid, they're going to bypass half the problems, and half, half the obstacles. So I was yeah. very inspired by, again, by the ingredients, but the specific recipe they put together, I think, is lacking a little bit. Yeah, I think that's fair as well. And, and just to go on your emotion, that sort of thing, there's something in Tasha's, which I believe is environmental hazards or something like that, where lands are, are created in such a way. So you can roll on a table to be like, oh, this is a place of uh, a great battle happened here and then you see spirits or you're imbued by certain emotions and stuff like that. so i would pair a table or two from there so that mm. with these strong emotions like they inf- they not infect that's not the word i'm looking for but impact on the players and influence yeah. them to an extent uh so that they actually feel a part of what is happening there so that's the only thing i wanted to add on that because i think it'd be cool to have that sort of that they actually feel that and i love that idea of having them play the final moments i'm a big fan of them understanding through history through play i'm more mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's such a great idea what's so funny michael is yeah in this that adventure there's like guards and nobles and everything in the site this one's saying the lower level campaigns the one mine has a freaking bone devil in it which is a <laughs> cr which is a cr9 and it's just like it's like okay Okay, to second level characters, here you go. Yeah. I think the, the the twist here is that you could just kill everything in this one and walk through it, but if you don't role play and figure out the actual mystery behind what's happening, you won't be able to solve it. Yeah. But I still worry that some players will half and half that and then they will try to fight some things and they're just going to wipe them out. Yeah. So. I really want to know who wrote this one because I was getting just the the lore here and this idea of this giant who was slighted by his people and then the imagery of the shard and the giant holding up the thing. I was getting some real strong Attack on Titan vibes Mm -hmm. from some of this. So I'm like, hmm. I think I know where your inspiration came from. <laughs> I can read through these people. All right, so I've never seen Attack on Titan, so I, w- I completely missed You're that good. reference. You're good. All right. So, Fiona, which is the adventure you wanted to talk about? All right. Well, okay. We've had a casino. We've had a giant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to caveat this at the beginning by saying one of my favorite creatures in the whole of D&D. I am one of those people who loves Modrons. <laughs> and I recently uh, did a series called uh, DM's uh, Travel Book Club, A Guide to the Plains, where we went through all of the planes of existence. And uh, of course, where else is my favorite plane but Mechanus, because it's this idea of law and order. And so how can I not pick this particular adventure? So I went for a fair on the Concordant Express, which is essentially a train heist to free a dubious prisoner, um, which is surrounded by Modrons, who these unfeeling, un, you know, like, this is the law, we will fight you. And interestingly, if you face a Modron by themselves, they are very, very low CR rating. But in droves, gentlemen, in droves, it, they are terrifying. They, you know, they just are unfeeling. And I 
could go on about the lore. I'd highly recommend checking out The Great Modron March, which is a, a, a second edition adventure as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you are charged with getting onto this train and getting uh, and exchange of information, essentially. There is this person, a, and I think they call them a planar outlaw called The Stranger, who has some incredible artwork, I have to say. Instantly, you get that proper cowboy field. Uh, feels from them and essentially they have through their own history learnt quite a number of names of fiends and devils and stuff and so has a lot of information a lot of power over them and they've finally been caught in uh, interestingly a, uh, a a playing called Akarin Sangal which featured in the Radiant Citadel so there is I think I know who wrote this one mm-hmm. uh, so the link from that particular adventure perhaps because and I would recommend that uh, was it uh, the Shadow of the Sun adventure in Radiant Citadel I'm actually playing for it right now and you can connect these two adventures basically the stranger gets captured and they're put on this on the concordant express and you join the express and the cool thing about this whole adventure is that it is different every time you play it you get given a map of like this is what the train looks like and you look and there's no information on it because (laughs) you as a dm can choose what carriages go where essentially and all you know is that the caboose is where the caboose is and the the main engine is where the main engine is and that's it everything else in between can be interchangeable so i like this idea that if you weren't keen on any of the particular carriages that i mentioned there are like nine different combinations uh or different uh examples of carriages you can make your own up and that I love that. So you could just fit stuff in right there. And it just, I think it's great because as you said, they've got that role play aspect. If they get it wrong, you're going to have to deal with a lot of guards suddenly in a very tight quarters. Um, There's dangers of falling off the train because it's going through essentially the multiverse. And there are effects depending on what plane of existence you're going through at any one time, which again, really cool, really interesting. But massive spoiler here. I cannot, I cannot leave this adventure without mentioning this mini uh, murder mystery that happens in one of the carriages. Um, essentially, um, it it takes its inspiration, this adventure, from uh, Agatha Christie's The uh, Murder on the Orient Express, whereby there's been a murder, gentlemen, in this in this murder. particular carriage, a murder, and you arrive and you have to help solve it with the help of a mind flayer detective called Ignatius Inkblot, and <laughs> He's great. Uh, I think they've described him as a Hercule Poirot type character who's very helpful and stuff. However, I my tip for you, if you're listening and like, I want to run this adventure, Benoit Blanc. Just do mm. a Benoit Blanc voice at this mm. point. And okay. It's just, and again, it's not it's not a particularly hard adventure to solve. You could, you could don't even have to help. But the option is there. So I just think there's some really cool roleplay moments as a result. So yes, I just... Everything about it. I I have no notes. I love this adventure. I <laughs> no notes. No notes. <laughs> so one thing I'll point out about this is again. So you're on this sort of train that mm-hmm. travels the multiverse essentially, all the multiplanes on its way to Mechanus. Yes, on its way to Mechanus, and it is powered by treasure. Yes. So it does mention that you can make your way to the the, the car where there's Modrons that are shoveling gold and treasure into the furnace. That's what causes it to run. And it gives a list of some pretty important or pretty powerful magic items that you might find above that. I think it would be more interesting if that was a secondary quest by one or more of the characters, but not all of them. Because that's a very classic heist thing where you have not exactly opposing goals, but you have parallel goals. 
So one, yeah. at least one person is like, I know that this thing is, is here. And if I don't get to it before it's shoveled in, it's gone. So I may be distracted or may want to try to focus on that instead of the other thing. Again, you got to have the right group that they're okay with that. But I think yes. that could be a real cool secondary aspect to this adventure. Yeah, I love that. Well, I suppose certainly you might lose items for whatever reason and they end up in this, in yes. this thing and you're like, no, my stuff in Lost Property. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, my stuff. It's also interesting to note, which I really liked about this one, was that one of the prisoners here can tie it in to the next adventure mm -hmm. for the book to get the Book of Vile Darkness. Yeah. So I thought that was I thought that was kind of cool. Also, I will say, so you, Viona, you mentioned you're all about mechanists and modrons and stuff. Uh, we're starting our next stream, our new stream tonight, our next like arc, and I'm gonna be playing a sorcerer, uh the the what Ooh, the clockwork, clockwork soul. soul yes oh so I know good. <laughs> I know nothing about mechanists or anything I just made this character so I can multi class with a hexblade warlock and create mm -hmm. a broken character for it. so it's gonna be great oh, so yeah. the clockwork soul is a really good like really interesting there's so much you can do with it so I'm yeah. very pleased with you Ugh. yeah it's it's yeah this was it was pretty cool uh with this one I feel like there's also ways if you're obviously with it being a train if you're an Eberron fan you could totally just slot this right into eberron this is a cool one so yeah. it felt it feels different than a lot of the other ones too yeah absolutely so i definitely see this one as something you could just drop in easily and like i said i there's you know you have an aquarium you have a planetarium and you're like well we, you can put anything in it so i think you can have a series of adventures of you going along this impossibly long train as it makes its way through mm -hmm. to Mechanus. So I just, I think it's a great adventure. I think there's a lot to it, but also equally just the, the nub of it, essentially, of the stranger. And then obviously the stranger, like, I'll see you around and then jumping off into oblivion. And you're like, oh, what a, what a guy. How cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's awesome. Oh, I'll wow. That guy. Very cool. All right, so again, there are 10 other adventures that we did not really touch on, so there's plenty of more for you to digest if you decide to pick this up on your own. Uh, but we are now to our rating and review section, so we're going to give this a letter grade. And again, remember at the RPG Academy, we only review things we love. So the lowest rating we would give anything is a C minus, which is kind of a hard pass as in pass it up. You don't need it. And all the way up to an A plus, which is this is the coolest thing in the history of the world and I have to play it immediately and forever. <laughs> Uh, so I'm not going to make Fiona go first since she's new. So Tom, I'll start with you. Where does this book fall for you? I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a B plus. Okay? okay. So I actually really like this book for the reason that I am on the record of saying that I haven't really liked a lot of the anthologies. Okay. I felt like that the adventures are either too long or they just, they just kind of feel contrived. And I thought this was great for the sole fact that all of these adventures are relatively short. They're the other anthologies were all either all the adventures felt too long to do in one session, but too short to do in two sessions. And all of these adventures just feel really tight. And just I could do this in one session. And I just feel like it's a really useful book. And I just I thought it was great. I browsed through most of these. I was, these are all really interesting. I, 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 I like this book. Very <laughs> cool. Well, thank you very much. All right, Fiona, what about you? 
Right. So when I, <laughs> I love how, Tom how your your definition of a one shot is that you do it in one session. Yeah, my one shots they like they anywhere between two to nine sessions. Depending <laughs> yeah. On so um, I totally see your point there. Uh, for me, I would give this an A minus. I think overall, I really enjoyed it. I think there's some really cool ideas in there. I think I enjoyed some of uh, the heists more than others. Apart from the stuff that I did think was missing, but again, I'm one of those DMs going, oh, this is missing. Oh, it's fine. I've written all about it anyway. It's, it's cool. Mm-hmm. I, I'll do that. I think I, I will admit it's very hard to get past my love of the previous anthology, which was uh, your journey through the Ra- uh, Radiant Citadel, because that gave me so much energy and it was so exciting. And here, less so, but I thought the ideas were really good. I, I, I would love to play a whole campaign all the way through yeah. and see what the players pick at the beginning and maybe do we have you know, interchangeable uh, characters? Is it a huge sort of group? You know, so I, I just thought there's so many ideas in here. It just needs a little bit of tweaking in terms of like, how do I create my own heist or getting some extra bits in here and there. But overall, I really enjoyed it. So an A- minus is at my grade for this book. Uh, so I'm I'm really right between you. I'm trying to decide, do I want to do B plus or A minus? Um, and as much as I hate to admit it, I, I think them not taking the opportunity to give us five or ten pages of how to run a heist in D&D was a missed opportunity. Uh, because I think that's something a lot of us struggle with. Again, as I said, they, people have created different games just because they have a hard time running heist in D&D. You're going to give us a book of nothing but heist. Someone there, Jeremy Crawford, Chris Perkins, someone should have been like, here's some of my tips. Even if it was literally just like, here's my top 10 tips for running a heist. I love this alt cover. It is so gorgeous. <laughs> I think the art is some of the best. The Again, the recycled magic item art doesn't, doesn't really bother me. So I think I'm going to go with B+. I think that's a really good rating. Okay. I really like this book a lot. But there's just a couple key elements that could have made it even better. But that's a solid score, I think. So I would definitely, this is, a, this is something you should get if you are playing 5e. Yeah, I like the fact that as the new person, I'm like, I'm really nice in grading, and you two are like, no. <laughs> well, Tom giving it a B plus. That's, that's a actually, high score. We didn't like rating the Citadel. We actually gave that like a C. I what? think a C maybe. Oh, yeah, I, we didn't care for that one. So fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Uh, I, though, though, the other thing I do want to point no out here for taste. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The other thing I want to point out though is the Revels End Adventure Prisoner Thirteen. Mm. Fiona, you mentioned this is the one that they gave out for free. This is the one. This Revel's End is going to appear in the new DMD movie. Yes. Movie. The other thing is this Revel's End has R. It's in Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I love Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, and I've actually ran Revel's End from Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, and this they add stuff to it. It's actually a it's the same map layout, but they change it still. So I thought that was like, I thought that's where they were going to recycle the art and stuff, but none of that section was recycled. So this Prisoner 13 is available for free if you just want to check that one out. So definitely it's super strong, especially if you liked Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Yeah, and it has very a great cool. villain in that as well. Which I love. Oh, it does. Oh, very cool. Well, Fiona, thank you so much for hanging out with us. I absolutely had a pleasure, you know, this first time we've had a chance to to yes. interact together. I hope it's not the last. I hope you enjoyed your time here in the Academy. One more time, where can people find you if they want to check out your stuff online or your socials or your podcast? So when I'm not uh, 
Progressing, so protesting my love for Modrons and Mechanus. Uh, you can find me on uh, the What Am I Rolling, which is a twice monthly RPG one shot podcast, and we do all sorts of different RPG systems there. No particular heist ones. We've done like Honey Heist really, really early on, which is a one page one shot by Grant Howard, which involves bears trying to get honey. Um, I also run the DM's Book Club, which is a weekly book club podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role playing campaigns. And there we've done stuff like On Planescape, which is coming out in towards the end of this year that's coming out um, and yeah and hopefully at some point um, we have the GM's book club whereas basically it's the DM's book club but we're just going to expand it to be anything but D&D and mm. we'll be doing stuff um, interestingly if we were talking it before off podcast uh, some free league stuff we've just done our Blade Runner episode we're going to do the One Ring second edition and just sort of expand and see what other rule systems are out there because as we've rightly said there's some systems that are more suited to heist than D&D and it's just nice to see them and go that's really cool how can I improve my game? So that's What Am I Rolling? And the DMs Book Club are out wherever you listen to podcasts. And keep an eye out for the GMs Book Club. All right. And we will put links in our show notes to all of your stuff as well to make it easy for people to find. Tom, uh, where can people find you if they want to yell at you for your wrong, bad opinions? Yeah, for sure. You can follow me at Bezcar Tom. That's Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter. I'm the host of the RPG Academy Show and Tell show where we bring on cool guests, talk about cool stuff that they're working on. And that's about it. All right. As for myself, of course, Michael, you can find pretty much everything I do at the RPG Academy. If you search for that and find something, it should be me. If it's not, let me know. Uh, I cannot get off here without plugging Action 12 Cinema. It is my game, my first GMless zero prep D12 focused game. It is on Kickstarter right now. We've been going for a little over 24 hours and we're at 62%, which is fantastic. But because I have anxiety and depression, I'm spiraling. So if you'd like (laughs) to support me and my mental well-being, please go over there and throw me a dollar. And then just please remember to stay after this episode. We do have about a 30-minute bonus interview with Sarah. Sarah is the one who wrote the adventure that Tom covered. We talk about running heists. We talk about mini games. It was a wonderful conversation. I had a really good time getting to meet her. So hopefully you'll stick around for that as well. Uh, And we will just sign off as we always do here at the show. Remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye (laughs) Bye-bye. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to get a chance to talk to you. Uh, we have met through sort of a mutual acquaintance, uh, Michael from the Redemption Podcast, one of my favorite people in all of the world. And um, he's like, hey, I know someone you should talk to. So <laughs> super excited to get a chance to talk to you. Um, I know you've, you've been around for a while. You've done a lot of things in the industry. Again, you're an author of novels. You're an author of games. You're an author of, of modules and adventures for multiple things. But just in case our audience isn't yet, familiar with you, high level, kind of an overview of what you have done, maybe what you started, and then we'll kind of end with what you've been doing more recently. Yeah, sure. Well, as you said, I'm an author and game designer. So I actually started as an author and a gamer first, was mostly writing. Not, I didn't really realize that writing for games <laughs> was like a thing somebody could do, right? You know, like mm-hmm, you don't mm-hmm. always conceptualize all of the various things out there. And I played games. And I wrote stories and things like that. I had just never made the connection that, oh, somebody writes the stuff that then gets published into the books that I then, <laughs> play, you know. Right. Yeah. It just magically appears. You don't yeah, think about yeah. it. Yeah. It's just, it just manifests. It's fine. So yeah, I started like way back in, I think 2016 maybe was my first job when a friend of a friend who knew I was an author and a gamer was uh, publishing a 5e third edition module um, and needed somebody to do some world building writing. And so I started with that. Um, then I 
since then, I have written um, a lot for Cobalt Press, is probably where you have seen me the most. Um, I've written two adventures for WotC at this point. Um, I've written stuff for Cubicle 7, um, a few things for MCDM, and just a smattering of other companies here and there. So, yeah. The life of a freelancer, right? right? Yes. Yes. So I, again, as someone who, uh, if anyone who's been listening to the show f- for a while knows, I have a habit of saying, you know, I want to be a writer. It's, it's kind of what drew me into wanting to be a dungeon master, though that's a long convoluted story. But <laughs> I like to think that I'm a pretty good storyteller. I'm good at creating situations and NPCs and worlds. And I've sort of turned that into a, a talent at creating games for people to play in. But I've never written an adventure. And I've tried. Um, I have a, a, an adventure that I wrote for that, like for my home use. I, I've rented a bunch of conventions that I originally wrote as a way to help introduce people into 5e's mechanics. And I think it's great. I have tried multiple times to write it down in a way that I could give it to someone else. And it's really hard to do. <laughs> so I am kind of interested, like, what would you say is maybe the biggest challenge or just maybe something that's once you know it, you know it. But you started off as an, as an author of fiction. Now that you're an author of both, but of of game design, like what is the challenge or what is the biggest difference that you've had to overcome? So I think the biggest challenge, the biggest difference, I think, between writing fiction and writing tabletop adventure modules is while you are the one who is writing the adventure, you are not writing the main character and you are not in control. (laughs) Exactly. When you, yeah. When you write a novel, right, you have complete control as much as any of us have complete control over our writing. You can shape the narrative to be what you want it to be. Um, You can make the character say what you want them to say and all of that jazz. But when you are writing an adventure, it's much more like setting the stage for the players to then explore this adventure path that you've written for them, which they may latch onto and may go exactly the way you want them to go. But as many DMs know... It never goes the way you expect it to go, ever, ever. Um, So kind of learning to leave room for the players to be the players while also providing enough scaffolding for the DM to be able to follow the path and to be able to improvise when things inevitably go off the path. Um, So it's definitely a balance of of what's necessary, what's too much, what's not enough, I'm not sure that I've yet mastered yep. it, um, and I've been writing for a while. To- totally so. fair, uh, you know. And get I've said this before, and I don't want to bog this down about me. It stays about you. But what I kept running into was the endless if-then statements. As a mm-hmm. as a game master, I, I do have skill at improvising. Like I'm, I roll the punches. You go left. I thought you were going to go right. Totally fine. I can figure it out. But when I'm trying to write a novel, or not, I'm trying to write an adventure that I specifically will aim for newer DMs. I want to say, well, if they do this, then you can do this. But if they do this, then you can do that. And I found that mm-hmm. that was just like an endless rabbit hole where. Chapter one was 7,000 words long because I'm trying to cover every possible option. And I still won't get them all because the players are going to invariably do something no one had thought of. Um, Mm -hmm. So you've you've had success. You've written for some of the largest companies, Cobalt Press um, and Watsi, certainly two of the biggest MCDM newer name, but definitely making waves. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess we'll talk a little bit more about the the Watsi stuff because that's kind of what brought you here today is your adventure you have in their new adventure anthology, Keys from the Golden Vault, which will be coming out later this month. Um, I will be getting review copies. haven't got them yet. But I want to talk, I guess, in general, like what's it like 
to be a freelancer when you are working for Wizards of the Coast? Do you pitch to them? Do they approach you? Is it a little bit of both? And then I kind of, again, I don't want to bog down in the minutia, but I want to talk a little bit like, you know, did you have an idea for an adventure? Did they give you one? Like how much back and forth was there? Were there things that you had to include, things you couldn't include? You know, all the cool stuff. So honestly, uh, writing for Wizards of the Coast has been a lot like writing for Cobalt Press um, and several other where sometimes they come to you with a specific, we want you to write this like some of the other projects I've worked on for other companies like we we need this monster write stuff for it or whatever but a lot of my stuff for Wizards of the Coast and for Cobalt Press has been we need a thing for this overarching book theme what are some ideas that you have like what's exciting to you here are some ideas maybe we have but both for Wizards of the Coast for both for Candlekeep Mysteries and for Keys from the Golden Vault I pitched an adventure design okay um, I definitely, it was more open-ended when I did Candlekeep. Um, it was very much like, we need a mystery with a book. Like the book is the hook for the mystery. And then here's how we're going to put, like do whatever. Right. Um, when I did keys from the golden vault, um, Amanda, who was one of the leads for the book came to me and said, we need a casino heist. Mm-hmm. What you got? Um, and so then I basically wrote up a short pitch you know, and she came back to me and there's we're sort of a back and forth between the pitch process and then writing the adventure and they read it and then we edit and we, you know, but for the most part, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a back and forth. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how it works. With so, that. so at the point where they say, okay, yes, we want you to write an adventure for, for us to the point where you turn that adventure in. Like how long of a time are we talking? Is it a month or two? Is it half a year? And then how much back and forth is there? Like here's first draft, like like the one in the book, is it your second draft or is it your 38th draft? Oh gosh. So I'm trying to remember the exact, I don't remember the exact timeline as far as from pitch to rough draft to second draft. It's not a huge amount of time, a month maybe to write. Um, don't quote me on that because I, I can't remember exactly. It's It was a a while ago that I actually wrote it. But so I wrote a rough draft, turn it in, they give feedback and I revise based off that feedback. And then I turn it in and then they take it. Presumably it's still a little bit of a, a, a opaque after that, because I don't see it much until it appears again in the book. So um, I'm assuming that they do play testing and um, developmental editing and all of that before it appears in the book. So I only have my hands on it Personally, me, I don't know about the other designers, but I've only had my hands on it twice from first draft and then final draft. And then whatever happens, they handle the rest of it. So. Okay. Now, um, so, because again, you've done the, the two Watsy books now are Candlekeep Mysteries and Keys from the Golden Vault, which are both basically anthology books. They're mm-hmm. not a long continuous mm-hmm. campaign. It's multiple, small, like one shot, two, three shot type of thing. Uh, what, if you don't mind me asking, what level for the adventurers was your Candlekeep Mysteries? Is it like early one to two, three to four? Like, do you remember where it fell? Candlekeep, I believe my Candlekeep Mystery was level five. And my Keys from the Golden Vault is level two. Okay. Do, and again, do so you le- pick those or, do you, or is that part of the process? Like where they want you to do a certain level or how does that work? I, I was given a level, which is typically how it works. I think, I mean, that's what I do with Cobalt Press too, is like, they're like, we need an adventure for fifth level characters to fit in this slot. Um, so yeah, I was, I was given a, a level range. Um, obviously for those freelancers who work on bigger adventures, like um, uh, um, Spelljammer and things like that, 
probably works a bit differently. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that they still have a level range. Like we know we want this to go from level one to level eight. Um, But for the anthologies, yeah, we're given a specific level to hit. Uh, Now, as far as like some of the things that are included, and and we're going to try to keep from spoiling the adventure, we might touch on it. Mm -hmm. And I definitely want to talk to you about heists in general, because that is a huge thing I love to talk about in in RPGs, especially D&D. But let's say, so we have a casino in in your your adventure. Was there like someone said, hey, we already have a casino in the ninth level of wherever. Use this one. Or do you make that up? Do you have certain NPCs that you make up? Or they say, oh, use this one instead. How does does that work at all? I mean, I I did everything from scratch. So I made up the casino. I drew the rough draft of the maps. Um, I made up all the NPCs, all of the games, because I did include casino games because if you're going into a casino your players are inevitably going to want to play if they're anything like mine (laughs) they're inevitably going to want to play the casino games so I wrote you know I created some mechanics for some games but yeah everything that was in there nothing I just all from scratch okay cool again I was just just curious uh so that actually does lead me into another question this is something we've talked about on our show multiple times over the years of like mini games. Um, I know beyond the witch light, there was a lot of uh, like uh, circus games that you could play. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, casino comes up a lot in D and D adventures. And, you know, we, I've gone myself back and forth between, do I just let them roll a skill check or do I want to actually play like poker at the table? But if they have like a high mm-hmm. stealth, I give them eight extra cards so they can like make their best hand. So where do you fall? Like outside of this adventure, you just at your home game, you're playing with your friends and you take them into casino what sort of things do you like to do to try to make them feel like they're in a casino? Are you a mini game kind of person? Are you a skill check? Does it vary? What are your thoughts? Um, I'm definitely, I think the mini game aspect adds a fun element to it, especially if it's something like, I mean, I not necessarily this specifically, but in a casino or in like a tavern, if you're playing poker, that there's always that social element that happens at the table, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're playing against somebody over, hours or whatever of cards yeah Yeah. um and so having a little bit more than just okay we'll roll a d20 add your you know sleight of hand or whatever which i you know i would let them do if they were trying to be cheaty but it's more than just a single roll you know rolling a bunch of dice doing something like liar's dice where you can still play at the table but it's a little quicker than an actual drawn out poker Mm -hmm. entire poker game so you get sort of that feel of of being at the table without it taking as long as it, it would, if you had six people playing poker, yeah. um, so hours, but if they wanted to do that, I would definitely figure out a way to make that work. But since D and D is more generally, it's not LARP, right? If, if we're at LARP, when if like, when I play, when I go LARP vampire, the masquerade, we sit down, we actually play poker. Right. But since D and D is much shorter, condensed, usually session play, um, something is a little faster, but still gives that element to is a lot of fun. Yeah. I have done done it every way and it's worked and I've done it every way and wished I had done it a different way. I, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of have fallen now in the sort of a mixture, I guess, mini game would be the right way is like we might deal like two or three hands of poker only. But I, but the, the big one that counts, I'll, again, I'll let them roll a deception or a bluff or whatever check they want to use. Mm-hmm. And then based on their success, I'll just give them extra cards and say, OK, you have eight cards to make your best hand. My NPCs only get the cards they're dealt or something like that, something similar. Uh, and I know the people that have used like three, was it Dragon Ant, three Dragon Ante actually is an actual game. People have used that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was just curious. So I definitely want to talk to you about heists. All right. I okay. love heists. I have always loved heists, but they're really hard to run well 
in role-playing games, and I think D&D specifically, to the point that other people have made games specifically for running Mm -hmm. heists because they are hard to run in D&D. And some of those games work. I mean, I love some of them. Others don't hit the mark for me personally. But I think the biggest element they try to address is that the fun of like an of a heist is for me at least is is the planning. Mm-hmm. But in a movie, you spend all this time planning, and then you start when you actually go into it. Things obviously go sideways because it wouldn't be fun if it didn't. But in a D and D game, it can feel unfun if I spent three hours planning for every contingency, and five minutes in, something we didn't plan for happens because the DM kind of has to do that, or it's not fun. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes not fun because we wasted three hours of planning. So um, can you talk a little bit either specifically to the point you feel comfortable, because, again, we don't want to spoil the adventure, or just in generalities in your design philosophy, how do you run a successful heist in a game like D&D? So I definitely, I yes, it's it can be difficult. And I agree that there's that balance between, ooh, so there's a twist and something went, went you know, quote unquote wrong in a direction we didn't expect. Mm-hmm but also rewarding the characters for their planning and their research and all of that. I think that it's a careful balance and it's kind of a little bit that I wrote into my adventure was the idea of like the more time you spend in the casino, the more opportunity you have to notice things or pick out. Um, So if you just run right in, you know, you could run right in, go full bore and try to like finish this heist without doing any research, without spending any time in the space but inevitably you're going to miss something. Right. Mm -hmm. So just like I said, rewarding the, 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 the time that they take to research and, 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 and plot out their moves and plan, but also inevitably the PCs are going to do, it's it's not always even on the DM to throw in the twist, right? Sometimes the PCs completely go off script. (laughs) You know, I mean, how many, how many D and D sessions have we had, you know, where you plan for like an hour and then as soon as you get in there, it's like, Oh, no, right going off script, got to improvise yep. and somebody does something where it's like, that wasn't part of the plan. So I think it's, it's definitely a balance. And um, I think also just the players being aware going in that, you know, of understanding the tropes of a heist. If you are playing a heist at the table, everybody, you know, for the most part, I think understands that like, this is how generally heist scenarios go and you know you know that there's going to be something that you didn't expect right. or that you, you can't plan for every scenario so yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it's, it's, <laughs> i don't know if i answered no, no i think you did again because it is difficult i think you know i talk about dnd because i love dnd i've played hundreds of rpgs over my career my life now but dnd is still one of if not my favorite i come back to it and i say lovingly it's like the waffle house of RPGs is it does a lot of things really well, but it may not do a specific thing as well as a specific game for that thing. But right. but if you want to play a heist one week and the next week you want to dungeon, do a dungeon crawl and the next week you want to do basically like a LARP at a ball where you're trying to like seduce somebody, it'll let you do all those things well enough that you can have fun. And I think the heist thing that, that I'm trying to figure out is not everyone's always on the same page. Because right. you, D&D brings all these different people together and you may have someone at your table who really enjoys just maybe it's like poker. Like they really like going to casino. So they're really excited about a casino heist for the mini games. And another person, mm-hmm. when do we kill stuff? You know, and the other person is like, <laughs> when do I talk to somebody? So just set those expectations that this is going to be a heist 
session or two or whatever the case may be. And you need to lean into those avenues so that we you don't try to rush past it. Because I think that can be one of the detriments as well. Is you have one or two players who are all about the heist and the other players are just like, can we get on with it? And then mm-hmm. they don't enjoy the fact that you spend an hour planning and then the DM throws a wrench because that's the job of the DM, DM I think, in a heist is right. to throw that wrench in. Because if you've ever watched a heist movie, that's what happens. They've got it planned to a T, five minutes in, this person called in sick, so they send in the other security guard. Or the one the mm-hmm. person you hired to open the door there got fired. So they're, you know, so... You know, it's a balance of how do I make this fun by throwing in the twist that you should expect without invalidating all the planning. I think it comes down to expectations. Make sure everybody understands that's what we're doing. Absolutely. I, and I think that's really important in general as far as like a D&D table, right, is everybody being on the same page as the as the kind of game war that we're playing today. Yeah. Like if you're sitting down to play, you know, Curse of Strahd versus sitting down to play Spelljammer, you're coming to the table with completely different expectations. And if somebody is sitting down to play Spelljammer, thinking that they're getting into something that's like Curse of Strahd, they're probably not going to have a good time, mm-hmm. right? You're not on the same page. If if I'm here for a, you know, a ball scene where there's going to be a lot of politicking and a lot of RP and two people at my table are like, well, I really just wanted a crunchy dungeon crawl. It's not going to be fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think he's from the Golden Vault. I've yet to see it either, but I've watched people talking about <laughs> what's in it. Um, that they do talk about in the intro building a team specifically around the concept of heists and building characters that would be, you know, and I think DD is already sort of innately built for that, right? Because you have the face, you have, you know, the guy who's going to pick the locks, you have, you have all of these different people with these different skill sets that can come together to form a team. I mean, that's d mm-hmm. But yes, when you sit down and play Keys from the Golden Vault, if you're starting it from scratch, you can have that conversation at the table of, of how do we want to build this team as, you know, and knowing going into it that you're building a character around heists can sort of eliminate maybe some of the frustration that you get if you're like, if you're playing a barbarian and you're like, well, what am I, what am I doing? Right. What am I here for? <laughs> I can't smash things with my axe. Like what, what's happening today? PSA, that barbarian character, you are going to smash things with your axe because that's the distraction we need. Right. <laughs> See, yep. Yep. But, and I think that's the thing too, is, is figuring out how to fit everybody's skill set. And that might be the thing if you, if you're dropping one of these, because the keys from the golden vault, you can play it as a campaign from start to finish, but you can also, you know, if you're running an, an, an existing campaign and you're like, oh, I really need a heist for level eight or whatever, you can pluck the level eight heist out, tweak it if you need to, and then drop it into your game. But you know, coming to it with this concept of, of how do we fit just because I don't have a skill set that necessarily seems obvious for a heist does not mean that I don't have something to bring right. to the table. And for me personally, again, one of the things that I enjoy from the player aspect is trying to find ways to make things make sense that don't on the surface make sense. Mm-hmm. So that would be my challenge to anyone who does feel that way. Like I'm not really a heist person. I'm not built for that. Well, that's your job. Figure out how you are actually able to contribute. And maybe that, if that's fun for you, I don't want to assume. But for me, it would be fun to be like, <laughs> I'm playing this character that does not on the surface make sense. How can I figure out a way to it make sense for this two or three sessions that we're doing? Because I do find that kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think, uh, I guess, some, some bigger picture things here. I, I guess I would, well, one thing I would say is it's kind of a joke on our show. It's like a drinking game. Every time someone says session zero, we take a drink because we bring it up so often that that's like one of my biggest pieces of advice. They're so important. And I think what we've touched on is almost like doing check-ins like, hey, the next couple of sessions are going to be 
a heist and kind of like establishing the guidelines for what that means, make sure everyone's on the same page, mm-hmm. make sure everybody's okay with that. I mean, I guess you could even potentially let a player who just doesn't like that play a different character. Like maybe they jump over and they're playing like the casino boss for the two sessions because they thought that would be fun. I don't know. But I don't know. I don't know if I've ever said that specifically, but I think that does make sense to just because, again, D&D is the Waffle House, my words, of RPGs. Mm-hmm. As you're moving from genre to genre to just check in and say, hey, the next couple, we're going to do a dungeon crawl the next couple of sessions. I fully expect us we're going to be in the dungeon the whole time. Is everyone cool with that? Does anyone want to do right. anything specific for that time? Maybe we scheduled that for when Sarah's on vacation because she hates dungeon crawls. So when she's in Florida or wherever, dipping her toes in the sand, that's the week that we do the dungeon crawl type of a thing. Yeah. And I definitely think, you know, that there's this attitude to a certain degree of like all metagaming is bad all the time forever. And the concept of metagaming where you bring in, you know, knowledge that you have as the player in, in character stuff. But I think I'll table talk both as a DM and as a player and having that open line of communication where you're like, Hey, I had this idea for this thing. Would you all be into that? Right. <laughs> like, I think, you know, making sure everybody's, you know, cause we're all playing this together. We're all here to have fun. Right. And if somebody really hates what we're doing, you know, I can, I can, reevaluate and switch gears. But yeah, I think, I think keeping an open line of communication with your players and with your DM, if you're a player, you know, and you really, really hate something, you know, don't necessarily have to be like, Hey, I hate this thing you're doing. It sucks. But, you know, be like, no, when I made this character, I was thinking more along the lines of a, and now we're doing B. So how can we make that work? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, session zero, good for that. And really it's just a lot of fun to sit down and make characters together because that's, I mean, that's why we're here is to be around the table with our friends. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that collaborative storytelling and world building is also one of my favorite things as a DM. So, like, Mm -hmm. I have an idea for a world kind of in big, broad strokes. And then it starts to come into sharper focus when a player kind of takes, like, maybe my two or three sentence pitch and goes, oh, that thing that you said sparked something in me. And now I want to create a character that kind of revolves around that. And then they're creating mm-hmm. that character makes you refocus in and go, okay. And it's just, it, it's like a brainstorming session It over time, I guess. I don't know. I'm explaining it terribly, but I really enjoy that. And I love how things no. evolve in ways I didn't expect and become much better overall. I agree. And I know some people, like I have friends who are like, oh, I have a folder full of characters that I've made, you know, and like I've made all of these characters and these character concepts that are really, I'm like, I can't make a character until I know the game I'm playing in. Exactly. And I don't know if maybe they have enough that there can be like, oh, this would fit perfectly in here and with a few, you know, which might be the, might be the case, but it's very much, you know, once I find out, you know, when I was going into play Curse of Strahd, I couldn't have made a character for Curse of Strahd until I knew that's the game I was playing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she came together easily and has been grand fun, even (laughs) though we're like two years out of Curse of Strahd at this point. So for me, yeah, that, that, like you said, collaborative storytelling, where you have a spark of an idea that might feed into something the DM does, or the DM has a spark of idea of an idea that, you know, lets you craft and flesh out your character that you have. That's not that you're doing it wrong. If you have a file full of characters, if you do, that's great. Right. No, <laughs> it's just not my If vibe. you have fun doing it, then absolutely. You're, but yeah, I just yeah. would caution people that you want to still want to maybe evolve it a little bit, tweak it to fit into a campaign. And I, I'm mm-hmm. not a person that says, oh, we have a fighter, we need a rogue, we need a cleric, we need a wizard. I, four fighters, four barbarians, four clerics, let's go. But the personalities of those characters are what I want to make sure mesh together in a way that's interesting, either that they all work well together 
Or if there's that one person who's going to rub everyone the wrong way, everyone understands, like, that's what I'm doing. And eventually I'll turn around mm-hmm. and you'll become my found family. But for the first couple of sessions, it's going to be kind of awkward. As long as everyone's on board, let's do it. But those are the things that I want to make sure mesh well together, the, the personalities right. and play styles. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So, um, and we've, we've touched on it, but let's just hit it hard. What is the pitch? So like, what's the two or three sentence blurb for your adventure in the keys from the Golden Vault? Uh, it is a heist at a nine hells themed casino called the Afterlife. And you are given the quest to go in and steal the prize and the purse for a three dragon ante tournament that is underway at the casino. And so you have to go in and I think you have two days, I think was the timeline we set on. So you have time to go in and scout the casino Mm -hmm. and talk people up if you want to, or figure out how you want to pull it off. But then in two days, the casino or the tournament will be over. And it's very important that you steal the stuff before that happens for plot reasons. So excellent. Again, (laughs) that sounds wonderful to me. Now I have absolutely no doubt that this is the best written uh, adventure in the oh, in, in the anthology, yes. <laughs> but at the same time, if if I was a DM who's thinking about running that adventure, and you have a chance to talk to me directly, you know, designer to DM, is there one little tidbit, advice, flair, something that wouldn't be spoilery or maybe minor spoilery? Just just DMs now. What mm. would you tell me to get the most out of that adventure? I built this casino to have a lot going on. And so kind of keeping track of what's happening where and the various NPCs that are milling about would be really helpful. Um, I really wanted it to feel alive and like a, you know, a casino that you've got all of these things and there's lights and there's, there's a bar and there's games and there's a restaurant and there's a circus and all of these things give you potential inroads to completing your heist, Okay, but also can be distracting Potentially intentionally so. Okay. okay. <laughs> so really leveraging those aspects of the casino would be a lot of fun. So as like a, a DM, maybe having like a timeline like written out somewhere, like what's happening. In yeah, each maybe place. just, you know, a little, yeah, a little, little grid of like X, Y, and Z. So that if somebody's like, oh, I'm going to go over here and you know, you know what's happening over there. Perfect. So, All right. Well, I feel like I could talk to you for several more hours and we would still have plenty to talk about, but I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything I didn't ask about today that you would just love to share with our listeners, whether it be about your projects, you yourself, or anything you want to touch on? Feel free to just plug away here anything and everything that I didn't ask you and you want to say. Yeah. Uh, speaking of heists, um, I have a cyberpunky urban fantasy novel. It's the first in a series. Uh, it's called Weaver's Folly, and it's sort of a Shadowrun-esque sort of setting okay. where, you know, elves and magic, but high-tech body modifications, and it involves, you know, People sent to steal stuff from corporations and things, of course, go wrong and politics. And yeah, so that's called Weaver's Folly. Um, So if you like heists and you like um, magic and high-tech cyberpunk Shadowrun-esque settings, grab that. But yeah, I'm still working, still writing, so... Can you tease anything coming up? Are you? I know there's like NDAs are a big thing, but are you allowed to tease anything? NDAs are huge. I'm currently working on the next... Um, installment of, I don't, if for people who uh, read The Lost Druid, The Lore of Athera from Alchemy, um, I'm working on um, the second installment of that, which the name just totally fled my mind. Oh my God. <laughs> but watch for yep. that. Um, that's, that's fun. I will be doing more stuff with Cobalt Press. 
Any convention appearances you want to play? I don't, again, I have no idea if you even do those, but do you Gen Con coming yeah. up? Um, I will be at Gen Con, probably doing a few, maybe a few panels. I'm possibly running a game at Gen Con. I'll be at a few local, like Southeast, because I'm in the Atlanta area. So I do the Southeast con circuit a lot. So Con Carolinas and Jordan Con coming up in Atlanta. Momo Con as well in May. I will be at all of those. So if you are in the area, come see me. And I'm planning to attend Emerald City Comic Con, but I'm not on a panel or a guest, but I'll be walking around doing the con thing. So if you see me, say hi. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Sarah, once again, thank you so much for your time today. I had an absolute pleasure getting to know you. Welcome back on the show anytime. If you want to come on to promote things or if you want to play some games with us, absolutely would be thrilled to have you. Uh, but as we always do here at the RPG Academy, we like to sign off by reminding you that if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.